everyone, welcome back to the Authentic Dad Podcast. This is episode number four. Thank you very, very much. The Authentic Dad Podcast is where we support fathers in having an impact in their lives, their children, their relationship, being more real in the world, being themselves. And we want to support that. We want to inspire that. Today, I talked to Dr. Poonam Sharma. She wrote this book. It's called Strong Women, Strong Love. And we talk about the book. And the book really can apply to any relationship and isn't really just for women. We talk a lot about expectations in marriage, loneliness in marriage, gender roles. And what I love about her is that she's very, very practical, down to earth, and really non judgmental, which is exactly what you want in your therapist. Because she's a therapist, she's been doing it for 25 years, San Antonio. And make sure you stick around to the end because I reveal my favorite dad joke. Yeah, it's a really good one, highly worth it. Um, and if you don't want to listen, just skip to the end because it's a really good dad joke. You can reach me at further.coach, F U R T H U R dot coach. Send me a message. I do a three free 30-minute um, consultation call, discovery call, see if we're a good fit. I coach dads. Love to hear from you. My theme music is by my nephew, Isaac Lurie. I'm also on Instagram, further underscore coaching. Further is F-U-R-T-H-U-R. On TikTok, further coaching. And I'm going to keep it short and sweet. I hope you really enjoy this. Thank you very, very much for your support. And please give us a five-star review. I'm hustling for those reviews because that's how you get found. And it makes a lot of sense to me now of all the podcasts I listen to, why they're hustling for that five-star review, those downloads. We need the downloads. Talk to you later. Thank you again. Yeah, I'm here with Dr. Poonam Sharma. She is a practicing psychologist for um, 25 years in San Antonio, Texas. She sees both individuals and couples, and she is the author of a very good book that I just read. It's called Strong Women, Strong Love, The Missing Manual for the Modern Marriage. And what I loved about it is I think it's written from the perspective of women, and we'll talk about that, but I think it's relatable to any relationship, partnership, marriage, gay, straight, you name it. It's just beautiful advice, and thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, David. I'm happy to be here. I thought the book was so rich in that almost any chapter in this thing could have been its own book. And I really mean that. There was so much in this book. So it's almost like I don't even know where to begin. But one of the things that I've always been interested is the changing um, face of marriage in that, you know, back in the day, I think maybe even mentioned the book, marriage wasn't even about love or romance or anything. And now we put so much expectations on our partners. Like there are everything. They're supposed to meet our financial needs, our spiritual needs, our physical needs. And that can be dangerous. And I wonder if that's something that comes up in your practice. Uh, Yes, it absolutely does. Um, It comes up in the context of just the expectations that people bring to their marriage. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's historically relatively new to have one person try to meet all those needs. Um, You know, and I, you know, my parents were actually born in India and they had an arranged marriage. Mm. And so their marriage was really, really two families getting together thinking, okay, we're a good match for each other. (laughs) And, Mm. and so just very practical. And, um, but we're seeing the same thing even in India now where they're moving more to what they call the love marriage and mm-hmm. uh, more of an individual, like two people together coming together, meet each other's needs. And I think it's very, very difficult because um, especially in the United States where we don't always have a lot of support uh, for our relationships. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on people. And um, so not only do you have to meet each other's needs, but you also have to juggle all the things that we all do on a daily basis, you know, work and home and all that stuff. So it's a lot. It's a lot for people. Yeah, I think in the book, you talk about that in the context of loneliness. And I'll quote you. You say, the pressure on our marriages to provide complete solace from this loneliness is tremendously high. Many people become overly dependent on their partners, hoping their spouse will meet all their emotional needs. 
Uh, and when a marriage is working well, it can certainly provide some refuge from isolation, but too heavily on each other and it be- can become emotionally taxing. Mm-hmm. So what, is there a good anecdote to that? If, if one person is feeling lonely and they're relying too much on their partner, vice versa, and maybe even both people are doing that, what, sh- what should we do about it? Well, you know, when I think of that, my brain goes immediately to the fact that we're bonding mammals. I mean, if I'm a psychologist, right? So <laughs> look at us as we're a species and uh, we do certain things and psychologists study the behavior of our species. Um, and so we're bonding mammals. That means we do need to connect. It's a hardwired need that we have. And, you know, when your partner is is the person in front of you and that's the person you're seeing most of the time and there isn't a very extensive social network, then of course you're gonna turn to that person. And so to me, part of the challenge is really for us to build a wider network of of relationships that we can lean into. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm very aware, especially during this window of time when we're all a little bit more isolated that there's some people that I'm interacting with where the only connection they have is their pet, right? Or they might have their spouse, but they may not have as an extensive a network as, as a person who lives in a more, um, you know, group oriented society, like in a lot of Asia, I mean, people have massive social networks, um, even South of the United States. I mean, further down in South America, the family systems are very large. So, so, you know, I think looking for opportunities to expand that um, network of, of relationships is really, really important because your partner's not going to be able to do everything for you. They're just not, it's not realistic. Okay. So I think one, understanding is not realistic. Two, saying, yeah, this is a hardwired need. This is not anything we need to be ashamed of. It's something that, uh, you, know, we, uh, you know, that's natural for us. And so allowing yourself to expand in that way. So it's something that we need and maybe it's okay to outsource that. It doesn't It always have to be from that primary partner. We could outsource it to a friend or a pet mm-hmm. <laughs> or a member of your community because um, <laughs> where did you grow up in? You mentioned you're Indian. Did you grow up here? Did you grow up there? Where did you grow up? Um, you know, my parents moved to England when I was like one. So I lived in England till I was about 12. And then I've, I've lived in the United States since then. So I was mainly mm. raised in the West, but my far- parents definitely grew up there. And so it was very much uh, surrounded by Indian culture, uh, which, you know, is actually very helpful in terms of a perspective on all this. Because I think in Indian culture, people would never ever assume that you could do it on your own. In fact, mm-hmm. I was thinking the other day, there's the, the word Sahara, Sahara Desert mm-hmm. in, in the that's actually a word in uh, that uh, I've heard my parents talking about a lot. Like if someone, let's say, lost their wife or, yeah, you, usually if they lost their partner, they would say the, the translation is who will kind of be that person's um, partner in the journey of life. Sahara means like someone who accompanies you. There's just an mm-hmm. understanding that everybody needs that. Right. There's no such thing as a person who doesn't need that. So, you know, it's a different perspective. It's helpful, uh, especially when you contrast it with here, where their messaging is, especially for men, (laughs) the messaging is you got to do it on your own. It's tough. You have to do it on your own is definitely not only a message, but maybe sometimes Americans pride themselves on this fierce independence that we... We celebrate that. And perhaps there's an underlying need that some of us aren't recognizing. Now, again, I don't think everybody should have to get married or be in a partnership or be in even a romantic partnership. I think when you're saying needs, you're, you're talking about some more generally connection. Yes, yes. That's exactly what I'm talking about. No, you don't have to get married to have those needs met at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was just thinking about our conference I attended last year. Uh, maybe it was earlier this year. It's been such a long year. Um, and there was some study that was done on people who have dogs versus those who don't. And I think the lifespan was like on an average, like eight years longer wow. from having a dog in your life. That's not even, like, I mean, that's how fundamental it is, right? That's, that's not even close. That's, I mean, how, that's, a, that's a long time. That is a long time. Yeah. That's a long time. What, um, I mean, what kind of, are you seeing anything like during the pandemic as a therapist new or different or novel or is it, same old stuff. Are you seeing more loneliness, more sadness, more depression, more relationship problems? What What's coming up now? One, I think people are really tired mm-hmm. and they want out, so right. which is understandable. I can relate to that too. Um, but I think also people are really missing their uh, the connections that they had. Even like 
casual ones, Yeah, you know, just missing. Actually, one of my kids was saying that, you know, I kind of miss seeing that person at the grocery store who's always so nice. And so I think what this pandemic is really highlighting is just how important those connections are, yeah. you know? Um, yes, now, I think for those who have higher yes. levels of stress, like people are at home with their little kids and trying to work, mm-hmm. um, you know, what I'm seeing is just that those for households, it's tense. It's tense because the workload is even higher and there's not much support. And so people are really, right. really in double binds. They're in constantly double binds. Yeah. I, I think my friends with the real little ones have it the worst. We're kind of in the middle. Ours are 11 and nine, but it, the ones my kids can at least mostly function on their own. They're still very demanding. But then when I see when the people have three-year-olds and four-year-olds, and it's very, very stressful. Exactly. exactly. Um, and I think when school's in session, it's even more so. Yeah. Tell think, uh, like this book is really good. When did you write it? Tell me how that came about. It's again, it's called Strong Women's Strong Love. And I think it won an award. And like I say, I've read so many books. And what I love about this one, it's so much that um, I think it could be like five books. How did, how did that come about? Well, um, it actually started out as a handout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was hearing, hearing the same thing over and over from uh, women that I see. And I, I don't exclusively see, see women. Mm-hmm. I also see men in my practice. But, you know, women are much more likely to seek help. And um, I was just hearing the same stories again and again. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to make a few handouts just to be really helpful to my clients can, um, you know, then use them as a reference point. So as I started to do that, I mean, it really just started accumulating. And I thought, you know, I could put this together in a little sort of ebook of some sort. And so that's really how it began. I mean, it was truly a bit of a brain dump. It's like the stuff that I know about relationships that I thought would be really helpful for other people um, to know. And that's probably why there's a lot of density to it because it's truly coming out of the models in my own head based on, uh, you know, what I've learned over the years through uh, experience, but also lots of continuing education and stuff, working with, you know, leading marriage therapists in the country. Well, if you don't mind, because as I was reading it, I took some notes and highlights and some things that really struck me. If we, you mind if I jump around a little bit? Oh yeah, go ahead. I just want this to be something. And, and, And again, these are just things that like, stuck out to me. I don't know if they resonate with other people, but on, on page 30, you say, um, I'm going to quote you again. It says, as corny as it may sound, and you're talking about thinking the context of a, a husband in a marriage, I think it could be in any relationship, gay or straight. He mm-hmm. wants you to see him as a hero and needs to know he can make you happy. He has been taught to use your happiness as a measure of his success in a relationship. And, the, and much of what motivates him is the desire to meet your needs. A, do you remember writing that? Yeah. I, know it's been some time. I do remember that. Yeah. I looked over my book last night. I was like, okay, he's going to ask me some things. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that, that was really interesting because I, I found myself, not anymore, okay? I'll tell my wife if she's listening to it, not anymore, that it, that it does feel, and for a lot of my male friends and dads, really deflating when our wives are unhappy with us because we want to be the hero. We want to make our wife, our kids happy. Look, you probably want that for many people in your life, but your spouse, your partner is your primary relationship. And I think it's fascinating that you put that in there. And I'm not even sure that women or partners even realize how important that is to, to, to us to really be the, as, as you say, as it sounds corny, the hero in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think most women see it that way because mm-hmm. I think as a group, women, and I'm, you know, I'm generalizing here, this doesn't apply to everybody, but right. um, women as a group tend to have more relationships than men do. They just mm-hmm. do. So the idea that you would be, you know, the you, the sole focus is a little bit uh, outside a typical female experience, right? So, but for men, I think it's very different. I think we look at some of the, um, the number of connections men have, it's typically smaller and it may not be, uh, you know, their relationships uh, may not be as intimate. So for many men, um, you know, their wife is really the person she's the go-to. She is the closest friend. And I think when women do realize that, they're usually very touched by that. They just never really thought. And uh, yeah, so, uh, so I think once they understand that, I think that they're able to make some pretty important shifts in terms of being more sensitive to that. But I, I also think that, um, you know, when I, when I ask men, you know, what, what, their, what their biggest difficulty is, often it is that they just don't know how to make her happy. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And I think some of it is really just a gender difference in style of how we show up. Because uh, a lot of times I think uh, women feel very, um, I guess the word might be overburdened. They have a long mm-hmm. list of things. I have women sometimes come to my office with literally sheets and sheets of paper with just a list or, you know, just scrolling. <laughs> Nowadays, everything's on your phone, a list just scrolling of, down their list. A list of and things I to do or a list that they want to, to talk do. about with you? Okay. Well, sometimes mm-hmm. it's both, but usually a to-do list. When I think about the tension between men and women, it's often around that. She's got a long list. It's really... Um, you know, and so many times, you know, if, she, if you do something, for example, let's say your wife asks you to take her a couple of things, you say, hey, I did that. And she'll be like, she'll check it off. But mm-hmm. she usually won't pause and say, thank you so much. That's so great. And I think a lot of times men are looking for that. They're looking for, hey, let's stop and kind of acknowledge what just well, happened here. Let's almost like a, a gold star. Yeah, although I think, you know, I don't want to diminish that. I, I mean, like, because sometimes women will say, what does he want? Like a pat on the head. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's um, a little bit something diminishing about looking at it that way. It's it's just uh, some of it's about expectations that hey, when I finish this thing, then you'll be happy, right? I mean, that's the expectation mm-hmm. when you're on for a guy most of the time. The other end is she's not even expecting that. She's just like, okay, well, thanks, you know, let's move on. Right. So I, I think once you understand that's what's happening, it's, it's uh, easier not to personalize it. But I think right. that's a lot of what happens in marriages. We just don't, you know, we're all very different people. And um, we didn't marry ourselves. So the person that you're with Thank God. doesn't see the world like you. Yeah. Right. You know, it's interesting what you just said. It's so, like, yeah, you know, it's, she, you know, wife says, let's move on. Or why should I give him a pat on the head or validate him for doing that or something that we're, we're both doing a lot and he does his stuff and I do my stuff. And how do you bridge that gap? Let's say if someone needs more validation or let's a pat on the head or a gold star, is, is there a way to communicate that more, effect, more skillfully? Yeah, and I think that um, like the conversation we just had, I think putting that out there in the open and talking about it in that way, mm-hmm. um, just, I, I do think that for most women, once they really understand what that means, they usually will, will make that shift because I think women in general, we're taught to really, we want everybody to like us and, mm-hmm. you know, and we want to be nice. I mean, that's sort of our programming. And um, I, I think in any relationship, honestly, if that is a need that you have, you have to learn to speak up for your needs. Right. Because, um, yeah, that's actually a big issue. That's a huge issue in relationships where we walk around with our needs and we think the other person knows what they are and they're not meeting them on purpose. And, and then, you know, we get disheartened. So we really do have to kind of ask for what we need. But that can be a tough conversation depending on what your, um, you know, what your emotional experience is, whether you're able to have a conversation up that level mm-hmm. uh, that's why people like me exist right to facilitate those things i was, I was just going to say you don't i know think how to do that yourself i think that takes a lot of skill and if you don't know those skills asking for them in a skillful way might you might need a third party because we're not taught that and sometimes what happens is we have needs that are unmet and they come out sideways like lashing out yep. or getting angry or which leads me to a, a very another important chapter. I love this. I don't love it, but it's the name of chapter three. It says we're drowning in stress and dragging our relationships down with us. And wow, we could talk for hours on that one. Like, what comes up when you just hear the name of that chapter that you wrote? Uh, I thought that's the reality of of the environment in which we are trying to have our relationships. I mean, just can't escape it. It's very challenging in the United States, I think, to es- escape stress, especially given the model we've, we are taught of, you know, you got to get out there, do your best, climb the corporate ladder or whatever it is, you know, um, max out your potential. Uh, well, all that takes time and energy. It really does, you know, and it introduces new pressure, which is then on you. And then, you know, for a little fun, let's throw some kids into the mix, right? <laughs> which usually would tip, tip people over the edge because, I mean, I don't think kids by themselves are anything negative, but they introduce us a certain amount of work that you have to do on a daily basis to help keep them alive and healthy. Exactly. Um, and so it's, it's more responsibility. Yeah, a lot of, a In fact, lot I of remember is, reading. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. There's a lot of them. Is, I, I heard a comedian, a comedian once said, you know, like having kids is just constantly saving someone's life. And that always rests, especially when they're real little, basically saving their life. Oh, yeah, that's right. Every day. Constantly. Absolutely. Yeah. 
What were you saying? I'm saying, yeah, make sure they don't stick their finger in the socket, right? Right. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about a study. I can't remember where it was um, exactly. Some place in Europe, of course, because that's where we always compare mm-hmm. ourselves. Um, but they were looking at the difference between happiness of parents versus non-parents, because I think there's an idea that people who are parents are less happy. Um, but this study actually really looked closely at that, and they attributed it all to whether people had adequate support to take care of their children. And when they had that, there was no difference. Between well, how do, so, what, what do they mean by support? Like child care? Or? Uh, like um, high quality child care. Yes. Social mm-hmm. support, you know, for parents so that the parents weren't carrying the full burden. Mm-hmm. So I think in, in society, you know, Europe, there may be more formal child care, but uh, like in a lot of Asian cultures you have, or even like, you know, South America, even like, you know, even Mexico, I mean, you have, people um, have extensive uh, extended families, right? Mm-hmm. The uncle or the aunt or the cousins can watch your child. So you're not the sole person and responsible. So you have, have this community of people or you live in the United States and you can afford a nanny. <laughs> it seems. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you and have, to be fair, I mean, we have a different subcultures within the U.S., right? <laughs> yeah, within the U.S., we have lots of different groups as well. But I think overall, yeah, large, those yeah, are the and, messages. And it's not just kids i mean you say this stress is i love this line is truly the enemy of connection Mm -hmm. tell me more about that why is stress the enemy of connection well it's kind of it's a biological reality Mm -hmm. that um once we have a certain level of stress our brain literally shifts into a different mode and um you've probably heard of it in the context of we have a fight or flight response in our body yep that once uh you know we sense danger or there's a lot of pressure on us we go into fight or flight mode and when we go into fight or flight mode we disconnect from other people and we also are thinking becomes much more negative so that's a tough combination you know for a relationship but then you know once you're at in that state to come back down and sort of be your typical self that can take about 20 minutes because you once once your stress response is activated, uh, you've got adrenaline in your bloodstream, you've got cortisol, you know, stress hormones that will just keep you in that state because they're designed to help us get through threat, threat to our lives, right? But even outside pressure can trigger that same response. So there's a biological reason for that statement. It's literally a fact that and when we yeah. hit certain levels of stress, we cannot focus on other people. In the same I was way. just going to say, uh, if you're in flight or, or fight, I mean, forget it. You're in this trance of almost like survival. So you're not thinking about the person, your connection, and your, your nervous system, I guess, is, is not calm enough to receive connection mm-hmm. or focus on it. Um, are you seeing, because you've been in practice for 25 years, are you seeing this be more and more of a factor in discord in, in couples than, let's say, when you first started or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely, um, over the last 15 years, I've just seen the level of anxiety and stress going up Mm -hmm. like in a crazy fashion. I think the American Psychological Association every year does a, uh, I think it's Stress in America survey or something. Mm -hmm. I think it was a couple of years, two, three years ago. It was the first time that teen stress was actually higher than adult stress. And um, I remember looking at that going, there's something really crazy about what we're doing here. If our kids are that strung out, because we know adults are strung out. And so what are we doing here, right? right. So uh, I've definitely seen it go up. Yeah, no, I, I mean, again, I'm jumping around, but you have something in here about a culture of doing versus being. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that is related to how we are raising our children, because especially in the area I live in Washington, D.C., you have a, a lot of very educated people who want these kids, even in a pandemic, to do, do, do piano lessons, ballet, all these things on Zoom. Again, I think it's very positive and I'm not knocking. I mean, we do it, but there does seem to be a lot of more, 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 do, 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 rather than let's just be who we are and not base that on what we do. Yeah, it's it's a lot of pressure for kids. It really is. I mean, I think... Um, and, you know, I think the tough thing about it is a sense of message that who they are is not good enough. If you overdo mm-hmm. that, you know, if you're, you know, pursuing something they naturally love and they, you know, you're not having to do any pushing, that's a good gauge, right? 
as they're mm -hmm. older, if, if they're leading the way, then those are good things to support. But if it's because we should be doing this because everyone else is doing it, um, you know, we're all born with a wide range of abilities. And, um, and uh, it used to be that you could have strengths and weaknesses. Now I think I, we're all focused on strengths, cultivating them to the max. It's a lot. Yeah, like you, you're really smart, but I think it'd be even better if you learn French. So do it. <laughs> or ballet exactly. or whatever it is and i have just the teacher for you yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i don't want to shame anybody because this is such no. a big thing it is mm. but it's you know i with my clients often we really look at that closely and often people are so relieved that they don't need to do that you know, like even mm. right now with kids um a lot of times uh, people are really worried about my kids are not going to be socialized if they don't mm -hmm. go back to class and you know i'm like well mm -hmm. are you are you interacting with them? You know, they'll, they'll get through this. They'll learn some other skills right now. But as long as they're safe and they do have uh, ability to connect with people who love them and are tuned in, they'll be okay. They'll be okay. We don't have to. Like, so we are made not, to survive. Right? You're not that concerned yeah. about that fear where they're going to be behind. They're not with their friends. That the virtual learning isn't as good. You, it sounds like you're less concerned about that and more concerned if they're safe and healthy and have good connections at home. Yeah, I mean, as a parent, my I, I really, my focus is always on how do we support um, our kids in becoming strong, healthy adults. Mm -hmm. And, you know, keeping that stress level managed is part of that because when you're exposed to high, high levels of stress throughout the younger years, especially, it, it actually has an impact on your nervous system that's not necessarily positive. And so, uh, so I think right now we can only do what we can do. I think... My approach is always let's line up with reality, the reality of how we're made, the reality of what we can actually do in this window of time. Uh, it'll pass at some point, even though it feels like an eternity. Um, but in the meantime, our kids can learn other things too. What you know, kind of things? And if they're behind, they're all going to be behind. So like my kids are, have been learning to fend for themselves. <laughs> they're, mm -hmm. they're cooking and they've actually been cleaning the house and doing things that I would never have imagined, but they're bored. They're bored, so they're looking for things to do. And uh, uh, so I think in some ways it's kind of like how life probably was 30 years ago even, where you had downtime and so you had to figure out what to do. And so I know a lot more families are outside planting things and they have time mm -hmm. now over the summer. I've heard a lot of stories like that. Yeah, we went, garden, we went camping. You know, we're just spending week. time with each other. <laughs> yeah, we went camping. That That's was great. That was How old are your kids? How many? You have three kids, right? No, I have two kids. Two. I have a twelve-year-old. Yeah, I have a twelve-year-old and seventeen-year-old. Yeah. Okay. So you're still so. pretty in the mix there. Yep. That's right. That's right. I have yeah. a senior, so you know, I've been through the whole. Oh my gosh, you know, AP mm -hmm. classes and blah blah. You know, just all the pressure that kids have. Mm -hmm. to uh, take college classes in high school now it's just a lot of stress yeah something to look forward to we're not there yet we're um, gosh i'm worried driver's license always is one well learn to say no now mm. <laughs> that's my advice learn learn to say no and teach them how to say no <laughs> um another thing that has interested me and we spoke when we first spoke before we recorded we had this really because we're talking here about men and women and i think it's important to realize that the gender roles are really confusing now and we shouldn't stereotype that um this isn't have you ever seen the show mad men you know uh -huh. don draper comes home and you know his wife has a drink and she takes care of everything and he that is not the reality especially around here a lot of people have two income homes and oftentimes and sometimes the father is the stay at home parent and i, I know i'm the one who cooks and does mm -hmm. the grocery shopping and what what comes up in in relationships with with that i feel like there's it's good in a way and it's it's really good but it's also confusing. Like, what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a man? And how, how does that impact the way we interact with each other? Yeah, you know, I think gender roles are in a state of flux. I've been through some massive transitions. You know, for women, I think the roles have really expanded. Women, this, I mean, I mean I've, I've got a doctorate. I work, you know, I love mm -hmm. working. It's a big part of my identity too. Um, I, I think for women, they've expanded. I think for men, it's still very confusing. So even though men may be you know, like yourself, like what you're talking mm -hmm. about, right? You're, you're doing a lot of the things in the home. 
Um, but the social support around it isn't always there. So I think that's a real struggle for a lot of men. And, you know, I'm in Texas and I know people stereotype Texas as yeah. the fact that's place, but the cities are, you know, like most other cities in the United States. So, but the issue really is, uh, it's not that men don't want to do those things or, um, it's just, there's not always the social support. You, you can take a bit of a hit as a guy sometimes, depending on where you are, right? Geographically where you are. So in DC, it may not be as bad. But, What's an example uh, think, of that, yeah. like in San Antonio? Well, well, I was thinking about even if if you, well, I wouldn't even say San Antonio, I was just say if you get into more traditional kind of mm -hmm. settings, San Antonio has a mix like most cities. Mm -hmm. But when you get into more traditional areas, if a guy says, you know, he's at home, then someone may just kind of give him a look like, really? Mm -hmm. Wow, you're at home? Right. And she's, you know, it's just those little comments that can feel cutting to where you feel diminished somehow. It's not mm -hmm. like people celebrate that, right, necessarily. Um, which in some ways is what women were fighting against for a long time. I mean, that role has never been celebrated. Yeah, because I guess some places are little bubbles and other places are not. It's, it's um, mm -hmm. yeah, ge geography matters is what you're saying, that where in the suburbs of D.C. might be a different reaction than San Antonio and, you know, San Francisco or something like that depending on the culture of the town. Um, actually, even like academic settings, like mm -hmm. uh, you know, where I see more of the role sharing and more flexibility, more fluid gender roles. Like I have, when I work with people who are academics, mm -hmm. I mean, those settings are usually very, you know, supportive. I mean, there's this open-mindedness and people are more fluid. So, um, you know, definitely there are bubbles, as you were saying. Yeah. Oh, I think it's really interesting. I think it's um, still evolving and we've, I, Actually, to be honest, we never really, I never really thought about it all that much until recently. I like to cook. I like to go grocery shopping. My wife works and we've always been very e egalitarian and equal and we've never subscribed to those traditional roles. But it's, mm -hmm. um, it's a big deal, I think, for a lot of people who, um, it's a big deal for, for our culture, for our country. Things, things are shifting and I don't, I don't know that everybody likes it. Yeah. Yeah. Transitions can be really tough. I think we're all kind of sorting it out. Yeah. Um, and I think with the younger men, you know what I'm saying? There's a, mm -hmm. they're growing up a little differently. There's, they are more open emotionally. I mean, just the messages are different for them. So I think if it's tough when you're, you're the ones in that transition, um, because we all just kind of want to know what we're supposed to do. <laughs> I mean, so I that to... we can just relax and uh, I have so much tough. hope. I have so much hope for whatever generation. I don't know. Like the nine and 11 years are maybe they're, different generations, but they seem so open-minded. And at least, at least what I've noticed so far, they're just not judgmental and accepting. Mm -hmm. They're very interested in activism and making the world a better place. And mm -hmm. it gives me so much hope. It's so beautiful. And I don't remember feeling that way when I was a kid. Um, they've just hopefully grown up in a way where I mean, a lot of these things don't matter. So I, do, yeah, exactly. I do have a lot of hope. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, we just all want to be whole, right? We mm -hmm. want to be able to be ourselves. That's really the end game for most people. And so, you know, I think in a marriage, it's about trying to set things up so that you play to your strengths, you know. And uh, so it doesn't really matter how you divvy this stuff up as long as mm -hmm. both people in the relationship are good with it, you know, and it feels right for the two of you. Um, but then there's a reality of we live in an environment where people may have things to say about it. And, you know, nice thing about growing older, you care less and less what other people yeah. think about what you're doing. But that's certain windows like, of time, yeah. it matters more. Yeah. What, what age did you... Joys think, of aging. What, what age did you realize <laughs> for you that you started caring less and less? Did you, is there a point where you're like, oh, I don't care about this? You don't have to give your age. Well, I don't know that you ever get to point where you don't care at all. But yeah, I mean, I think probably when I hit my... 40s it really because mm -hmm. i think once once you hit that around late 30s early 40s mm -hmm. you've just kind of watched people for a long time you've been around the block a few times and then you're just like you know i'm just tired of this you know and after a while i what i see is people just start to either they give up or they start to be themselves like one or the other typically. i hope they don't give up one um What's that? we've i mean we've you, you do have something to say in about um authenticity in here too what do you, um, what comes up for you with around authenticity and it's called the Authentic Dad Podcast after all, like um, in the context oh, of yeah. someone, 
being them doesn't have to be a partner or in a relationship like what is it what does it mean to be like authentic with a, a marriage partner a romantic partner what does that look like and why is that important that may be a big question but whatever what comes up for you yeah yes. it's got multiple parts i mean if one thing that comes up for me is that we are very much born authentic you know mm -hmm. children are extremely authentic sure people tell them to be quiet or <laughs> they're just being themselves and so in some ways what when i think of authentic i think of our journey as, as being back to more of that honestly mm -hmm. i think teach, children are really great teachers for what authenticity looks like i mean they're you know they're transparent they're um, not mm -hmm. afraid to be themselves i mean we are all every single one of us absolutely unique and so authenticity to me is lining up with who that is and it's different for every single person, you know, and uh, I, I do think it's sort of a lifelong journey for us to kind of really grow into who we really are. And uh, it's a little harder at the beginning. It gets easier as you get older if you're open to it. It feels like there's so much pushing against us to not be who we are, you know, to, to fit in, to do this, to be this way. Mm -hmm. This is the definition of success. This is what you should do. And by the time we reach a certain age, it's like, who am I? And you sort of have exactly. to re rediscover exactly. yourself at some point. And my theory is that that's mm -hmm. why people come to therapy because at some point they rub up against that and they have this crisis, whether it's a personal crisis or a matter of crisis, and they have to kind of reshuffle things. I guess maybe that's where the midlife crisis comes from. I don't know, but there seems to be at some point, at least I'm finding that the age I'm getting that some of my friends and family members that this usually doesn't happen in the 20s i guess it could but it, it starts to happen down, down the road a little bit more when as you said marriage and kids and these layers of complications can happen i obviously it probably can happen at any age but I'm, I'm seeing a lot of it like 30s early 40s this is completely anecdotal yeah yeah i think no no i, I think you're absolutely right because i remember uh, noticing that i think when i was about like in my early 30s, I remember just noticing that some people just really looked a lot older, like they felt mm -hmm. older. And I remember talking yeah. to my husband about that. I was like, I don't know, what is that deal? Some people really look really vibrant and others look like they're mm -hmm. just not, they're just way older than we are, right? We always think other people are older than us. But, um, but I think some of that is like, do you line up with who you are? You head in the direction of who your authentic self. And I think the, um, there's so much more, there's so many, so much more noise out there now. Mm -hmm. That's, that's why it's so hard. Just constant. I mean, because of uh, social media and just the amount of information we have coming in, our brains aren't really designed to handle that volume. It's just really not. I mean, Definitely I remember not. writing a blog post once. It was about <laughs> cognitive capacity. And it was like our short-term memory can hold five plus or minus two things, right? It's like, that's pretty sad when you compare it to the amount of information coming in, right? And my limitations span over the years, I've noticed because of, you know, swiping, swiping, clicking, clicking, clicking is overloaded. My attention span is crap. It used to be an I have to force myself to read a full article because I want to go on to the next and the next and what's this and what's that. It's really crazy. Like it really mm -hmm. does something to your brain, you know, and that's why I'm, that's why you know, I'm a little concerned about young kids, my kids um, doing too much of this because it does feel like it's, it's having an impact like to our wiring. Again, not a scientist, purely anecdotal, but I just noticed my own attention span really isn't what it used to be. Yeah, you know, our brains are adaptive, right? Our brain can, is always wiring itself and more so when we're young. So yeah, you're right. I mean, whatever you engage, behavior you engage in, whatever you mm -hmm. do, your brain just kind of hardwires that in. So um, I mean, that's what I've been really grateful for actually this summer because, because my kids have been bored. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. they're out there literally like watering a plant. And, you know, when you're doing something like that, you're fully present and, mm -hmm. you know, you can just focus, just having some experiences where you can just be and just focus for longer periods of time. I guess you know, that's what really, it really is. Important. I guess that's what it is. It's presence. It's not just attention span. Mm -hmm. It's being fully present in the moment, which is harder and harder and harder. So I love how you, because pe people that listen to this won't see the video when you said, yeah, my kids get bored and you just like kind of shrug your shoulders. <laughs> like, <laughs> let them get bored. Well, you know, I remember, it's funny, I was talking to my sister last night and we were talking about this topic and, 
when we were talking about how many summers were bored out of our mm-hmm. minds. <laughs> yeah. We're like, they're lucky. Yeah, they're lucky they do so much. We used to be bored all the time, you know. Or if we were bored, our parents would say, here, here, go sweep the front porch, you know. <laughs> It'd be yeah. something like that. Or, or be creative or do something. So we have something. no sympathy, no sympathy. <laughs> so we talked a bit about some, let's say, pitfalls of the relationships, the marriage, the partnerships. Give us, uh, before we end, give us some nuggets of what really works to build deeply connected, long-lasting partnerships. Give, 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 give the dads out there, the moms out there some, some nuggets because 25 years of doing this, you know, you were handing out pamphlets. So there's got to be some wisdom. There's got to be a lot <laughs> oh, of Oh, you want the whole thing. I'm gonna... <laughs> Whatever comes to mind, you know, just, you know, just spurt it out. Whatever, there's got to be some stuff. I'm, I'm sure I know that John Gottman's done a lot of research in this, but I'm sure even in your practice, you know what isn't going to work, let's say, attacking someone, criticizing them, and what does work. As you said, asking for your needs, things, things along those lines. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think I've not seen very many relationships be able to uh, move in a positive direction until people are able to really manage themselves better. I think we all have to kind of figure ourselves out first in the sense of, uh, you know, earlier I was talking about the stress response. You really have to get a handle on that mm-hmm. because I find that that's actually the biggest thing that I am dealing with um, in my office. Mm-hmm. Is people are just so agitated and they're so agitated because they're so stressed and they may or may not have um, the skills to settle themselves down, you know? And yeah. so that's something mm-hmm. we're all responsible for. I think, you know, if you're an adult in a, a relationship with another adult you have to learn to manage yourself and that's the top priority and until you do that it's really hard then to like do some of the other things that make a relationship better because we're hardwired um you know i think i'd mentioned this to you in the Mm -hmm. past uh, how we have some very basic uh, emotional needs that have to be met one of those is actually safety Mm -hmm. so until we feel safe with another person we're not going to want to get close to them because why would we right and so it's not about just physical safety, but it's about emotional safety. So when someone is calm and relaxed, then we're much more likely to move toward them. And then good things can happen. But I think that's always the first order of business is if, if you're constantly in an agitated state, you got to figure out what's going on there. Because to me as a psychologist, I'd be like, okay, there's some needs that are not being met or there's mm-hmm. too much pressure on this person. How do we kind of take that pressure off? How do we kind of get their needs met more? And it, um, and it reverberates out. It isn't just that you're stressed. It impacts your, your your health, your relationships, your kids, everything. It goes it goes out. Yeah. When we when we spoke um, before, you mentioned five needs, and mm-hmm. I'd love for you to um, tell everyone what those are here. The first one you said, or one of them, is safety. What mm-hmm. are some of the other ones? Yeah. So the that is definitely the first one, you know, and I think these are the areas you can actually focus in in your relationship. If you want to get to the heart of how you emotionally connect with a human being, this mm-hmm. is this is sort of these five needs will, will get you there. Okay. So safety is the first one. So making sure you're like emotionally safe, uh, mm-hmm. physically safe to be around. That means, you know, you can't be scowling at a person. Um, you need to be physically settled down. Um, but then the second need is to be seen. And um, that is, once again, we're bonding mammals. We, we actually do need other people to notice us, to reassure us, to connect with us. And so in a marriage, what that means, I think especially if you're super busy, it means taking just a few seconds out here and there and connecting with your spouse, yeah. right? It means just noticing them. Kind of, you know, kind of getting like, off hey, your own island. Good. Get off your own island for a little bit and reach out and see what what's happening over there. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't take much. I think sometimes people think you've got to spend then hours looking at each other. <laughs> I mean, who has time for that? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a few moments of presence, mm-hmm. it does wonder. It really does. Okay. And then we also have a really um, hardwired need for uh, to be soothed. That means, you know, to be able to reach out to someone if we're stressed or just need connection for someone who will help settle us. We can't do it all by ourselves. And so that's where this, you know, you talk about John Gottman's work. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, he focuses a lot on positivity and this, he has a famous ratio of, you know, uh, that we should all strive for at least five positive 
interactions for every one negative, right? That's sort of the bare minimum to keep a relationship going. But I think showing up in ways that are uh, soothing, right? That don't add to that person's stress. I think I, thought I read that John Gottman have some system where he could kind of like study a couple's conversations and predict if they'd get divorced or not based on some, some something. And he was, and it was very accurate. Which I find yeah, really exactly. interesting. Yeah, that's it. And I think when p uh, couples that get divorced, the ratio of positive to negative is about 0. 0.8 to mm -hmm. 1. It's almost a 1 to 1. But okay. couples that have been together a really long time and really are very much still in love with each other and feel good around each other, their ratio is actually about 25 to 1. Mm. He calls them the masters of marriage. Something, something to shoot for. <laughs> Yeah, they're really warm relationships. That's why I was telling people, okay, I mean, I don't, I don't hit 25 to 1. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say my office, well, shoot for the 5 to 1. Just put that on your fridge. Be a, be a 5. That. You can do 5. Exactly. A little affection, appreciation, yeah. you know, being present. Just even nonverbal touch. A peck on the cheek. doesn't All cost you on. anything. It doesn't cost you, you anything. You can do it. Okay. <laughs> um, so we have safety, uh, being seen, soothing. Um, being soothed, but what, we got two more left. Yeah, I mean, one is actually one I added. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I didn't add it like out of my own. So you uh, invented a need. I, I added it. It was it's something that is a need, and it's more so in relationships. Uh, okay. um, but stimulation. Um, mm -hmm. And that is about, you know, in a marriage, it's easy to get bored if you've been with somebody a while, right? Because I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> So you hear, you know, you've heard the same stories over and over. You feel like you can complete your partner's uh, sentences very easily. What, so, what kind of stimulation are we talking about? Doc? <laughs> we talk, we're talking about like. <laughs> it, it, like adventure, going mountain climbing, physical what? stimulation, what we, all I, the above. I actually connect it to being yourself. Mm -hmm. I actually, that's how I, I interpret it. So stimulation is allowing yourself to still continue growing as a person mm -hmm. and becoming more and more comfortable in your own skin. And when you show up in that way, it's actually stimulating to the other person. And so uh, in some ways, by pursuing your own growth, right. you show up as someone that, you know, it's more fun to engage with. Like they're evolving, they're growing, they're interesting. Exactly. They're not just this stagnant lump of a person. And, exactly. I know I have, a, I have a way with words. I know it's very poetic. I'll say I'm going to quote you a lump of a person. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I definitely have a way with words. It's my gift. All right. What's the last one? Um, and then last one is, is security, like secure, mm -hmm. you know, and that is just knowing someone has your back. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the part of us that, where we need uh, predictability, you know, mm -hmm. because as much as we all, the, the, the party line is that we all love change and if, and you know taking all these risks and whatnot we're actually not really wired that way too much i think we all need some stimulation we need to grow but we also need lots of predictability and stability yeah, yeah. so that's where um developing an environment where your relationship is mm -hmm. uh, you know just anchored in something steady a community um, even from a financial standpoint, things being predictable, so stress level not too yeah. high. Um, hierarchy of needs to a little, little Maslow in there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, exactly. so for those who are keeping track, we have safety, being seen, <laughs> um, being soothed, stimulation, and security. And what I like about this, it's probably for you, could be a little bit of a map, like which one isn't being met. And then it's, it's sort of a shorthand for finding out, all right, this person um, isn't being seen. Let's work on that. Mm -hmm. um, there's a security problem or there's stress. And maybe that's helpful to you by using this little shorthand for when you talk to somebody. I don't know. Yeah, I would encourage people to look through that lens. I actually use this for parenting too. Mm -hmm. Usually when kids are acting up, it's because, you know, right. if you look at through the, you know, they're dysregulated. But they also, you know, you may not have given them any attention or you're not. Mm -hmm. No one's asked them what they need. One of these needs is not, they may need to be held. I mean, little kids, especially sometimes they just need to be held. It's, so this is actually where a lot of this came from as we look at studies of how human beings attach to each other is coming out of attachment theory. So I love attachment very theory. powerful stuff. Attachment yeah. theory is so great. Yeah. I'd love, we could, we could talk, um, we should come back and talk about attachment theory. I think it's, it's kind of like the, all the buzz these days, isn't it? Isn't that like a, a big thing? Yeah. In, it certainly has been, has mm -hmm. been. Know, come into the mainstream in that way for sure yeah mm -hmm. but you know it's uh this is 
once again, it's about we're made a certain way. And if we can line up with that, we're going to be much more successful in how we navigate life and navigate our relationship. Well, that sounds like a perfect place to end. I very much appreciate it. And um, where can people find you? Um, in San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, on the web. Okay. Um, you can, let's see. For this, well, what if I would they want say to go to book? my website, Strong Women. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on Amazon. You can okay. buy it on Amazon. It's been there for a while. And, um, but I have a website as well, strongwomenstronglove.com. And okay. there's a blog there. I'm actually about to launch a course and perhaps some coaching related to this as well. So, cool. uh, yeah, all that will be on the site. Yeah. And, and that course, you tell me that it's going to target, um, your energy to keep the love and passion in your marriage alive. Can you? That's right. And it'll really focus cool. in on those core needs. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is, is that going to, it's going to have a, a component of that? Well, keeping the love and passion alive in your marriage. Yeah. Yeah. With the core needs. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's very awesome. Thank you very much. This was great. And how's it going in San Antonio? What's the weather like right now in San Antonio? I, I don't know why. Um, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm curious. Looking out, say I'm working from home. So I'm looking out my backyard. It's just hot. I think. <laughs> Okay. I don't even, we don't check the weather in the summer. I think it's like, mm-hmm. it's probably in the 90s. I'm sure it's in the 90s. I went, so I, went, I went to the river walk once. That was cool. And is that yeah. right? And the Alamo and, oh, last mm-hmm. question. Do you have any dad jokes? I know I really put you on the spot. <laughs> if you don't, it's okay. You don't. I, I don't, but I laugh at a lot of dad jokes. Mm-hmm. And my husband really appreciates that about me. <laughs> I think we'll have to do it so do you have a dad joke? I'll laugh at it. <laughs> so many dad jokes. There. Well, I guess it's my podcast. I guess I could be inappropriate. Here's my favorite one. All right, okay. all right, don't, this, this, is not, this is not for, this is, all right. What do you get when you cross a penis and a potato? <laughs> what? Dictator. Oh my gosh. <laughs> is that not the best dad joke? Yeah, ever? that's a very dad joke. Mm-hmm. Very much mm-hmm. so. <laughs> yeah, my kids know that one too. That's why I'm a great dad. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure they'll be repeating that at school. Absolutely. Well, (laughs) thanks again. Have a great day. And uh, uh, maybe we'll uh, do it again sometime. Uh, Thank you so much, David. I really enjoyed talking with you. You're the best. See ya. Thanks. Bye-bye. And there you have it. Episode four is a wrap. Thank you very, very much again to Dr. Poonam Sharma. She is so practical and down to earth and not judgmental. And if I lived in San Antonio... She would be my therapist, I think. Although, I guess it doesn't matter now because everything is on Zoom. I really, really hope I didn't lose any listeners with that dad joke, although I think it's a good one. If you have any, please email me, further.coach, F-U-R-T-H-U-R. Thank you for your support. Please consider giving us a five-star review, and we will see you next time. Take care.